In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear brothers and seminarians, dear faithful, all throughout the Gospels, there is one name that our Lord strongly prefers above all others to refer to God. And that is the name of Abba, Father. He speaks frequently in Matthew of my Father in heaven. And constantly during the Sermon on the Mount, when he's preaching to the people, he tells them about what he refers to as your heavenly Father. And he enjoins them, as you know, to pray to God with the words, Our Father. When our Lord himself prays, it's almost always to the Father. When he speaks of his mission, he says it's the one that the Father has given him. And when he wants to prove that mission, he appeals to the works which he has shown from his Father. And of course, in today's Gospel, you just heard me read that he says, I'm going to the Father. And if our Lord was so insistent in referring to God as Father, and it's really difficult to find uh, places in the Gospel where he does not refer to God as Father, where he refers to him as God, if, if our Lord was so keen to encourage us to call God our Father, if he has made this the key name by which God is to be identified, then it must be for a very important reason. Just on the basis of our Lord's authority alone, we should love to refer to God as our Father. We should try to think of God as being our Father. We should learn to pray to Him with the name of Father on our lips. Not just when we're praying together, and so we say the Our Father, but also when we're praying privately. We can address God as Father, my Father in heaven. It is then that we can start our prayers as our Lord so often did. You can just read through the Gospel of St. John and see how many times our Lord starts his prayer by saying, Father. He does this when he raises Lazarus from the tomb. He does this when he prays his sacerdotal prayer at the Last Supper. He does this when he prays on the cross for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It seems that the apostles understood from our Lord how important it is to refer to God as our Father. St. Paul speaks about our right to call God our Father because we're adopted sons in the epistles of Galatians and Romans. And if you look at the beginning of each of the epistles of St. Paul, you will always find him referring to God our Father when he addresses, when he makes his first address to the people he's writing to. St. James, in today's epistle, refers to God as the Father of Lights. And next, next week, the epistle is also from St. James, and again, he refers to God as Father. The Church also has us refer to God as our Father. Just when I'm done with this sermon, after a very long time, um, we, will, we will sing the Creed together, and we will together profess our belief in the truths of the Catholic faith. And in the very first words of the Creed, we will sing to God, the Father Almighty. So the first important thing for us to do, as I say, when we realize what our Lord taught us about referring to God as Father, is to address Him as Father and try to think of Him as our Father. And, and by this, I do not mean the first person of the Blessed Trinity, but God in His very essence. So the first person of the Blessed Trinity is Father with respect to the second person, who is the Son, in these eternal processions. But God is our Father 
as uh, us as, as human beings in his very essence, not as one of the three persons. So all three persons, in other words, are our Father. And so when we say the Our Father, we're addressing God in his essence, and that we're not addressing the first person of the Trinity. But besides addressing God as Father and thinking about him as our Father, we must also try to understand something about God himself from this title that our Lord gives him. In other words, if our Lord tells us to address God as our Father, it's not just so that we can have the impression that God is our Father, have this sentiment, this, this perception, this true perception. It's also for us to reflect on that name, to think about that name, and to ask ourselves, why is he saying that God is my Father? What does it mean when I say that God is my Father? Whenever uh, theology asks these questions, this is the job of theology, to reflect on the things that are revealed to us by our Lord, these truths of faith, and say, what does this mean? What sort of intelligible content can I find in this or that mystery that's been revealed to us by our Lord Jesus Christ? So when theology asks these questions, it searches for their answers in a very specific way. In this case, we start by considering what we can learn about fatherhood from nature, from what God has established in nature. We know that fatherhood is not an institution uh, that's, that's sort of a social construct. It's not something that humans have made up. It's something that comes from God, um, in the natural order even. So we, we investigate that in the natural order and try to find as much as we can about natural fatherhood. What is fatherhood as God has instituted it on this earth? What does it mean to be a human father? And then we take that understanding of created fatherhood and try to see in what ways we can apply that notion of earthly fatherhood to the fatherhood of God, of God our Father. And when we do that, we understand God better, we love him more, and we're better able to contemplate him, that is, to consider him with the eye of our mind. We, we are better able to know him. Now, this is what I'm going to try to do in the rest of the sermon. I could highlight many aspects of earthly fatherhood, and we could go on for a couple of hours, but we're not going to do that. I'm just going to focus on two aspects of fatherhood, of natural fatherhood, and then try to apply them to God's fatherhood. And by doing so, I hope that we can know, love, and serve God our Father better. The first quality of a father is that he governs his household. The father is a master. He's one who has authority. He issues commands to the members of the house in order to achieve the interests of the common good, in order to keep things in order. We know that the best fathers are those who are most effective in the use of their authority. They first of all understand their position in their family and their responsibilities. They're conscious of their role. The father is the head of the family, and so it's his job to strive to ensure that the family is successful and achieves its proper end. Ultimately, the responsibility falls on the father. If the family fails, then the father will be the primary one held responsible. And there are certainly circumstances which might excuse him, but they must be circumstances that are out of his control if he's to escape blame. Now, good fathers, they acknowledge the importance of their role, 
And they're willing to take full responsibility for that role. They dedicate themselves heart and soul, day after day, year after year, to foster the true good of their family, knowing that the, really the success of their entire lives is one and the same as the success of their family. Everything rides on that because that is their vocation. That is their whole state in life. And this brings us to the second quality of a father, and that is the duty of the father to form the souls entrusted to him, to to change them um, into virtuous, holy people. If we just said that the father governed his house, we might mistake him with someone else who also governs. Uh, Someone like an employer or a mayor or a prime minister, these are also governors. But those sorts of leaders are not so much interested in people as they are interested in actions. Uh, They use their authority to get certain activities to be performed. At least this this is very common for the secular leaders today. I'm not saying this is the way they should be, but this is very common for the secular leaders today. They they measure their success by uh, material considerations, whether they build roads, whether there are certain profits that are made, whether buildings are maintained. They don't care so much about the impact that their leadership has on the perfection and the virtue and the goodness of the people they're dealing with. They don't, they don't think that's their job. For instance, you know, you have a, if you work for a company, um, the, the company will most often measure success by its share price or its gross intake or its profit margin, all these sort of economic and monetary considerations. Certainly won't measure it by virtue or holiness. It's, it's not going to measure its success by whether the, the, the rate of divorce has risen or fallen among its employees over time. Yeah. Look, our employees are, are not breaking up their marriages as often. I think we're succeeding. They're not going to even think about that. They don't care anything about that. It's different with a good father. He's not so much concerned as whether uh, this or that gets done in his family. He's much more concerned about the, the virtue of, of the, his, his children and the souls entrusted to him, as I say. He's not concerned about the financial status of his family, the material success of his family, whether his children get PhDs, um, whether they become high flyers in, in, in uh, aristocratic society, they have high-paying jobs, they're successful in politics, they have five million followers on Twitter, whatever it may be. Um, He's much, much more interested about what his family members are in themselves. And and as such, a good father's primary concern is about um, whether they are good, whether they are holy and pleasing to God. And he realizes that he can only lead his family to goodness and holiness through a formation. It's it's not so much um, a training where you you learn a, a skill uh, some sort of material skill, as, as they teach you in companies to do this, this or that material skill, and you do it well, and the company, make, the company makes more money. But it's, it's, only, it's much more a question of leading the family to goodness and holiness through a formation. He can't just tell them to do this or that. He rather has to create a certain spirit in the household, uh, an atmosphere that, that irradiates um, by the way he lives, that will lead the, the members of the household 
to virtue. He has to work with his family members so that they learn to adopt that spirit, that they know his way of thinking, they understand his ideals, they love what he stands for, and even that they want to give their lives uh, for those ideals. And obviously a, a very good father will, will uh, communicate to his children a, a very great love of the Catholic faith to the point to where they're, they're willing to give everything for that Catholic faith. And this, this is not a bad thing in a good father. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing, in other words, for him to want his children to think the same way that he thinks, to have his spirit. Um, he, a good father should want them to strive for the same ideals that he strives for. If those ideals are good, then it can only be good for his children to follow them and pursue them. So you have these two characteristics of a father, typical father on this earth, that, that he governs the household, and also that he forms the members of the household to virtue. Now it turns out, of course, that God has both of these qualities of a good father, and he has them to a supreme degree, far more than any mere earthly father. Firstly, God takes full responsibility for the governing of his household. What is his household? Well, it's, it's all of reality. It's absolutely everything. It's the whole creation is God's household, is his domain. God makes everything exist. He designs the universe perfectly, and he provides it all that it needs to accomplish its purposes. We can ever, never blame God for not being responsible in the way that he has designed nature we can't blame him for failing to provide his creatures with everything that they need. Um, those who even just take a brief glance at the world around them, they realize that God has been generous beyond measure with his creatures. He's given us absolutely everything, much and much, much more than he could have given us. If we consider what, what uh, human nature could be or the world could be, and we compare it to what we have, we're astounded. Who could fail to love a father who is so generous in providing his children with a world that's so beautiful as ours, with, this, with the ravishing night sky that fills us with wonder, the astonishing marvels of the, of the biological world, the plants and the animals, all the abilities that he's given us as human beings, things that we can do. These are all gifts from our Father in heaven who St. James today calls the, the Father of Lights. And our Father seems to be endlessly generous in the sense that he provides these things day after day, week after week, year after year. Sun comes up, sun goes down, the seasons go through their cycles, and God never stops showering the human race with all these benefits. Much more touching than this, however, is God's work of formation. He runs the universe with perfect order, but for most things in the universe, he just has them accomplish their tasks. They just have a job to do, and he's concerned that they do that thing. Um, you know, this is true for, for all of the merely material creatures in our universe, whether it be uh, subatomic particles, whether it be the rocks and the trees or the, the wombats and the magpies or what have you, 
God just asks them to do their job. He's not concerned about lifting them up. He's not concerned about raising them to a higher level. They're just mere material creatures. But he does have this concern for us. And this is the extraordinary thing. For human beings, for us poor human beings, he has a very, very special care. And he goes out of his way to craft, on top of that natural order, a supernatural order by which he hopes to raise us to the supernatural level and make us live his very own life. Here are some of the things that he does. He, he makes us members of his family by the sacrament of baptism. He enters our souls by grace, and there he guides us in the way that we think, the choices that we make, the goals that we pursue. If we, if we are sensitive to the movements of his grace, he um, comes to us by taking flesh. He takes on our, our own human nature so as to draw us to himself. Um, he, of course, in, um, comes to us under the form of bread and wine and the, and the Blessed Sacrament. All of these things, all these inventions of God are so many ways in which he seeks to make us like him. He's not so much concerned about what we do, what we accomplish. What he really wants is for us to be like him, for us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So he goes out of his way in order to accomplish that. He wants you to be with him forever in heaven. This is the extraordinary thing about our Father, who is God, that we, that we have to somehow grasp. When our Lord rose from the dead, he told the apostles through St. Mary Magdalene, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. God is our Father. Our Lord insists upon this. He provides us this beautiful world. He continually maintains it in existence. And he also shows us this special love by calling us to live his own divine life and dwell forever with him in heaven as a member of the heavenly family. And this is God. Okay, God, the master of all reality. God, who holds reality between his thumb and his index finger. This is the one who is your father and who wants you to dwell with him forever in heaven. God wants me to be like him. He wants me to dwell with him because he is my father. How foolish we would be, how insane we would be to reject this father, not to want what this father has to, to give us, the, all the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. It's certainly true that we don't appreciate our Father as much as we should. He's continually showering us with good things, and we don't seem to notice. We human beings are, unfortunately, creatures subject to routine. And whatever is routine for us um, becomes uninteresting. We no longer realize how good we have it. But the truth is, we we're given much, much more than we deserve by our Heavenly Father. He's paying so much attention to us so that we can be happy with Him forever. And we don't seem to notice. We don't seem to hardly care about it. 
So my dear faithful, just try to reflect a little on this truth today. God is my Father. And He wants me to be with Him forever in heaven. He loves me. Every day He's trying to help me be holy like Him. If I just cooperate with the graces He gives me and I love Him, then I will definitely one day be happy with Him forever with my Father in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.